So, I have COVID. Yeah, COVID-19. That coronavirus that sent us all into a shelter in place about two and a half years ago. You remember that shit, right? The panic that permeated throughout planet Earth. You remember that, right? Well, that has entered my world. That has entered my body, my lungs. And now when you tell people you have COVID, they just go, oh, okay, that sucks. And you move on. It's not like when you heard Tom Hanks had COVID. And you're like, shit, we're going to miss him. Loved Saving Private Ryan. I loved Big. My God, Joe versus the volcano. Going to miss Tom. The miseducation of COVID and then the realization of COVID. And then a lot of people acting like they're living in the aftermath of COVID. And then another spike and then another variant and then another spike and then another variant And it becomes the news on TV. It becomes the news that you read in the paper. And then, oh shit, when it actually enters your home and ravages you and your family for a bit, it gets real in a hurry. It gets real. Taking those at-home tests. I don't want to see that line. I don't want to see that line. Is that pink? pink? That's pink. That's pink. I got it. I I got it. I got to text someone. I got to probably notify a lot of people right now. I got to stay away from you. I got to wear a mask. I got to distance. You got to really rack your brain. All right. What are all the protocols? What are the current protocols? Because the protocols change a lot. So I have it. I knew I had it. I had a little cough and I actually came to work to teach and I saw one of my buddies and he was telling me it's going around and I was like, yeah, I kind of feel something. And he just handed me a test. He has like hundreds of at-home tests in his classroom and he just handed me a test right there and I took it right there and boom, I had to walk out of my classroom while there were students in the classroom and I didn't want to alarm any of them. I was wearing a mask that entire morning, even though I wasn't really teaching yet. It all happened before my school day really began, but all the kids were settled I took attendance, I stepped out, took the test, took a bite of a banana, tasted nothing. That's when you know. Tasted nothing. I can smell nothing. Told everybody in the office, they got me a sub, I got in my car, I called my wife, I said I have COVID. And now, well, things are different. Now things are so different because I'm just isolating. I'm fantasizing about socializing and going to restaurants and hugging people again. Here's a question. How many people have had COVID and didn't test and didn't quarantine? They just said, I'm sick. They didn't test. They just went and infected a bunch of people and they continued with their lives because the protocols I'm following, how many families are really going to this level of inconvenience? Yes, we are being inconvenienced and a lot of families are being inconvenienced, but a lot of families aren't. A lot of families don't just stack 30 at home tests and test every time someone has a sore throat. Maybe you should if you can, but most people aren't. If you have a little cough, if you feel like you have cold symptoms, how many people are immediately testing for COVID and waiting for the line to appear like it's a pregnancy test? (gasps) Is my life about to change? Am I really vaccinated? I know it reduces symptoms to be vaccinated, but am I vaccinated? I just easily caught that variant. What's it called? The BA2? The BV2? My banana just tasted like bland mush. This is last week. I haven't tasted anything for a full week. It's like a part of me is missing my identity. One of my favorite things to do, I don't know, taste things. 
that's missing. So every meal is just a robotic. The texture is this. The consistency is this. That is crunchy. That is mushy. That is hot. That is cold. Nothing is registering, folks. Nothing is registering. My four-year-old got it from me. Or did I get it from her? No one knows. That's what everyone asks. So where'd you get it? So where'd you get it? Who actually knows where they got it? I guess some people do, but I don't know. I don't know where I got it. My 10-month-old just tested positive. She has it. My wife, still negative. She's bionic. Apparently, my wife is bionic. We're all in the house together. I'm wearing a mask, but we're all in the house together. My wife's not getting it. I've heard stories like that. Spouses not getting COVID when one of the spouses has COVID. We don't understand shit. We don't. We have experts telling us expert things, but it changes so frequently, so we don't really know shit. I'm trying to avoid Googling long COVID, where you start to wonder, wait, am I fucked? Wait, am I going to have that brain fog for a while? When do I get to taste things again? What about fatigue? Oh, fatigue. I go around the block. It's like I ran a marathon. Now I'm complaining. Of course I'm complaining. Of course I'm complaining. Then I take a step back and go, but I get a lot of quality time with the fam. Had to pull the e-brake on the rat race of life. And now I have some subtle mindful benefits, don't I? I just get to inhale and exhale. That hurts. That hurts my lungs. But I know I'm going to search for a few positives. Even though I miss work. Maybe that's a positive. I'll go back to work and appreciate it more than ever. What's another positive? Do I get a little immunity? Do I get a little bit of immunity now? Do I become stronger because my body has battled this? I don't know. It really is some prisoner bullshit where you count down the days. I'm chiseling days on my bedroom wall. Sunday became Monday. Test again. He's positive. Became Tuesday. Test again. He's positive. Becomes Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can come back if you test negative. I tested positive. Becomes Monday. Becomes Tuesday. All of a sudden, it's going to be summer break, and I'm not going back. I don't know. Just a banana of bland, mushy nothingness. The weird part is it feels like over two years ago. It's reminiscent of how it felt when we had to shelter in place and we didn't have COVID. When everything was actually closed, but we didn't have COVID. And now I have COVID and everything's open, but I have to shelter myself. And I have to text people things like, hang it in there. Yeah, we're hanging in there. But really, the cabin fever is back. And I'm going back to that scary world. I'm going to wear a mask. I was teaching without a mask. Freely, fearless. I was like, it's been two years. I haven't caught the damn thing. I'm not catching the damn thing. I reached that mindset, that ridiculous mindset of, I'm not catching this damn thing. I'm boosted. I'm in a county where people get that vaccine. I'm good. Nope, not good. More strains and more variants. More strains and more variants. More strains and more variants. And we're never getting out of this bullshit. The world of education, the world of high school education is just weird right now. I mean, you can't have expectations to just have a normal prom. You're going to have a risky prom. It's going to be a normal season. That's going to be a bit of a risky season. It's just weird. One week ago, there was a bomb threat at the high school I work at. I was mid-sentence teaching Cold War, teaching about that space race across the intercom. Nevada High School, we are on lockdown. We're in a shelter in place. Lock your door, stay in your classroom. Once again, we are on a lockdown. 
To which everyone goes, oh, fuck. I stuck my head out the door. I stuck my head out the door. Wanted to hear anything. Immediately, we all had the morbid thought. Wait, is there a shooting right now? When this happened, when I was in high school and there was a bomb threat, teacher would just say, it's a bomb threat, and took us all to the football field. This was very mysterious. For the first 15, 20 minutes, we were like, what is it? We're supposed to stay in our classroom? Barricade the windows? What do we do? Should we get down? Should we run? Everyone's trying to be cool. Everyone's trying to be cool on the exterior, on the surface. But on the inside, there were a large percentage of students and staff members that were like, is there a fucking shooter? And then you hear, okay, it was a bomb threat. That somebody actually put a bomb threat in an Easter egg during an Easter egg hunt. And it made the news as we were sheltering. Here I am with about 30, 15, 16 year olds. And we're watching Twitter. And all of a sudden, NBC, KTVU, all the local affiliates are picking up the story. Nevada High is on lockdown right now. You hear helicopters above the school. It's getting so out of hand, but no one's scared anymore because we know it's just some ridiculous bomb threat that was found in an Easter egg. But now the day is done. The day is done. Everyone's about to go home. And everybody's feeling weird. It's a weird feeling because teenagers are usually happy to go home early on a Friday, but no one's happy to have your brain jumbled with the idea that, wait, are we in danger right now? Are we in danger? Of course it wasn't a bomb threat. Who actually makes a bomb? And then reveals it by shoving the message inside an Easter egg. I mean, in the history of bombs, has that ever been someone's approach? It all of a sudden went from scary to, that's very not scary. Not a smart prank, not a clever prank. But that was the first. That was the first time I had the moment of, is it about to go down? Is it about to go down? I don't care who you are. If you work at a high school, you think about it maybe once a month. Once every couple of months, is it about to go down? What would I do? What would I do? Where would I go? I know they give us protocol, but when it really comes down to it, what would you do? I had that conversation. What would I do? Well, what I did was went to the baseball field and I took BP and I put one out. That's correct. 40 years old, took about 60 hacks, embarrassing myself, pulling every muscle in my body, blisters on my feet, blisters on my hands, but I went with the varsity coaches to take some BP, take some hacks. I haven't swung a baseball bat in years and I finally poked one out and I knew it was going to hurt. I knew it was going to hurt, but I didn't know how much it would hurt. I was thinking, yeah, maybe oblique, maybe some hammy, maybe back pain, shoulder pain, elbow pain, wrist pain. And yes to all that, but I come home and I was bragging to my wife, hey, I sent one out, maybe 315 to left field. Yeah, blasted one. This is old man bragging. And I needed this because I don't have many sports accomplishments. From here on out, what am I going to do? Bowl a 300? Probably not. Hit a hole in one in golf? Of course not. But can I poke one out of a high school baseball stadium? The answer is yes, folks. And I did it at all costs. I ruined my body. But when I got home and I started telling my wife, I started to see an aura. This is not a joke. None of this is a joke. I started to see an aura, which is where your vision gets pixelated like a prism and you just can't see straight. It's like you're looking through broken glass. Your own eyeballs become broken glass. And it's happened once in my life before in 2015, but it happened again. And my wife said, you just need to lay down. And I did lay down. Then I laid down for about 24 hours because it was a migraine and I had no migraine medication yet. Emailed my doctor. It's called Sumatriptan, Sumatriptan. I don't know, but there is a medication that you take when you get the aura. It's called an ocular migraine. So from bomb threat to baseball to ocular migraine, wake up the next day. And then a few days later, it's COVID quarantine. Hey, welcome back to ailments. Today, Josh is going to take you through his last 10 days of life and you aren't going to believe it. 
We'll be fine. That's the disclaimer. After everything I say, I was like, we'll, we'll, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Ocular migraine into that. COVID-19 into that. Missing a lot of work into that. Kids are missing preschool into that. My wife is like a pinball trying to avoid all of us. But you can't with little kids. And misery loves company. So every time I read an article about who has COVID, oh, they have COVID, their whole family has COVID. It's good to know you're not on an island. It's good to know you're in the midst of a spike, that there's an uptick, that it's not just me, the pariah. It's not just me feeling dirty, like, oh, we're the only COVID family around. Because you do feel dirty. I do feel guilty. I feel guilty right now that I brought this in. But did I? Who brought this in? I don't even know. Like I said, we're all running from a toxic monster of invisible droplets. And one got to me. You want to know my real theory? I think it was bomb threat day when I had to chill with those teenagers and they got a little squirrely and masks were off and windows were closed. They were coming up to my desk. Could I go to the bathroom? No, you can't go to the bathroom. We got a bomb threat lockdown. Could I please play heads up seven up? No, you can't play heads up seven up. We're teenagers now. We don't play that. Mr. Rosenberg, can I play Hangman on the dry erase board? No, you can't play Hangman on the dry erase Okay, we could play Hangman. So we played a lot of Hangman on the dry erase board. But I had a very uneasy feeling the whole time. You hear a chopper above your school. You see local media outlets swarming your campus. Trying to make it sound so dramatic. Actually, I guess it was dramatic. Which probably happens at every high school throughout America at least once a year. Yeah? Aren't bomb threats still very prevalent? It's funny that they seemed normal when I was a teen, and this one seemed very abnormal. Maybe it was the way it was communicated. I don't know. What I do know this, but I do know one thing. This could be love because I've had the time of my life. And I owe it all to... Is that the greatest scene? Is that the greatest scene? Swayze? No Swayze, no Wazy. Put baby in a corner. You don't put baby in a corner. That is a flash mob. If you rewatch Dirty Dancing, daytime, nighttime, any hour. No, I've had the time. Try not to get the fucking chills when Swayze takes baby out the corner. Right now, name a better crescendo to any movie. A better ending. Where it all culminates in something that just gives you the chills for five minutes. You're like, oh my golly. Look at the moves on Swayze. And she's really coming along. What's her name? Jennifer Grey. And she's really coming along. And who played the dad? Orbach? Jerry Orbach? What a dick in that movie. Dirty Dancing. That's like one of the first movies. That. The Princess Bride. When I think about the first movies that I was actually able to stay with the plot. Non-cartoon movies that I was able to stay with the plot. Watching adults have adult issues. Just being blown away. Now I've had the time. You know, I gotta tell you right now, I didn't love reading as a kid. Hey, that's a great transition. Whoa. Did you go to transition school? No, just off the top of my head. I just wanted to tell you, I didn't love reading as a kid and my mom kept shoving books my way. Shoving books my way. Maybe you'll like this uh, young adult genre. Maybe you'll like reading about the history of the Jews. Maybe you'll like sci-fi and adventure. No, just don't like the act of looking at those words. It's slow-paced. It's dull. It's boring. I don't think I fell in love with pleasure reading until I was about 25. Reading the SNL memoirs. When Jay Moore writes a memoir. 
And then Sarah Silverman writes a memoir and I realized, wait, there's a lot of comedians writing memoirs. I like learning about their lives and then athletes memoirs and I'm reading all these athletes memoirs and people are sending me free books because I'm on the air and they want free promotion and I'm not really promoting all the books, but I'm reading them and I'm sitting in bed and I'm reading. I go, this is kind of better than TV, theater of the mind. I'm loving it. But that's not till I was 25 as a kid, as a little kid. I vividly remember teachers bringing the class to the library and giving us all the freedom to go find a book, go find a book. And a lot of kids went and found books because they enjoyed reading books. Not me. I don't like the activity. And I'm in a library, like an old library, where there's only books. Nowadays, libraries, everyone just sits down at a computer. It's funny that there's even books in a library. Who's touching the books at school libraries? Nowadays, if you see kids in school libraries, elementary, middle, high, even college, they're probably just doing something on a device with electronics, I'm guessing. No one's hitting up that Dewey Dewey decimal. No one's going into the encyclopedias going, is this W through X? Okay. And just stacking up a bunch of paper. Wow, is that an old school memory? But if you go even further back, old school, there were only books in the library and I went to the same book every damn time. This is true. I only read the Guinness Book of World Records. I remember this. Second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. Elementary school at Dixie. It's now called Lucas Valley. You don't call it Dixie anymore. But at Lucas Valley, actually, if I share a memory, do I tell people I went to Dixie? Do they gasp and go, how dare you, sir? You went to Lucas Valley. Okay, I went to Lucas Valley. They called it Dixie back then. No, no, no. You don't call it that anymore. Okay, well, that's the name of the elementary school I went to. And in the library, I would just only read the Guinness Book of World Records. And I thought about this recently. I was up in bed with insomnia like I typically am. And I thought about the fat twins on the motorcycles. If you understand what I just said, then you were me. Then you also went to the library. You didn't love reading. Teachers let you go all over the place from Garfield to Calvin and Hobbes. Maybe Arthur the Aardvark. Was he an Aardvark? I don't know. But he wore glasses. James Stevenson books. James Marshall books. The Stupid Step Out. There were some good books. Don't get me wrong. I like children's books. But there was that phase where we were supposed to find some things we liked to read. And I didn't. So I just read all of the Guinness Book of World Records time and time again. I read it and then I read it again. And I love the fat twins on the motorcycles. Why were they in the book? Well, because they were the fattest twins in the history of twins. Each guy weighed over 700 pounds. That's not a joke. That's over 1,400 pounds worth of twins. You know that classic motorcycle photo. If not, Google it right now. Go ahead, Google it. The fat guys on their bikes. Where it just looks like a toy bike between their legs. Like right between their crotch, it just looks like they're sitting on a toy bike and it's just so much butt cheek wrapped around it. It's so much cute butt cheek squeezed into denim wrapped around it. And while everybody else in fourth grade is learning, I'm just examining the fat guys on their motorcycles and I'm examining the lady with the longest fingernails ever. You remember these old school records? I still think in terms of Guinness records. If I see people drinking eggnog during the holidays, I wonder, who's drank the most eggnog in one sitting? I think about this dumb shit. Biggest set of testicles ever. I don't know what kind of disorder you would have, but biggest testicles ever? I'd like to know. Smallest freckle ever? Hmm. Longest burrito. Free birds in Santa Barbara. Longest burrito ever. Think about any food. There's the biggest ever. Biggest pizza slice you've ever seen? I remember in San Diego, they had food challenges. They had the biggest pizza, at least that's what they said. This place had the biggest pizza ever. If you finish it, they'll put your name on the wall. That's all you get? Just my name's on the wall? Okay. And if I don't finish it, you go to the hospital because it means you probably hurt yourself. It's fun to think about this shit. The hottest wings consumed. 
But back to the old school ones. You remember the world's tallest man? What was he, 8'5", 8'6", 8'7"? We marvel at that, but think about how uncomfortable it would be to go through life as the world's tallest man. Oh, what a curse. But you get in the book. You get in the Guinness book. I just realized that's my bucket list. Forget everything else. I just want to get to the Guinness Book of World Records. How? I don't know. Maybe the longest podcast ever. Should I just keep going and going and going right now? Should I go for 30 hours? What's the longest podcast ever recorded? You're like, God, no. We want you to wrap it up right now. Longest pencil ever. I looked this up. 738 feet. What would you have guessed? Much shorter. That's what you would have guessed. All right. I'm Googling right now. Hold on. Classic Guinness Records. There's the tallest man. Oldest person ever was a French woman named Jeanne Calment. She made it to 122. God bless you, Jeanne. Oh, God bless you. 122. Oh, I do want to get to 100. I don't know why, but what's the quality of life at 122? Longest hair ever? 18 feet of hair. Ew. Ew, just ew, don't. You're only doing it for the Guinness Book. Oldest dog ever? You ready for this? 21, a chihuahua named Toby Keith. Hey, Toby, how old are you? Very old. Tallest dog ever, a Great Dane named Toby. Wait, really? Another Toby? Seven feet tall, a Great Dane. Seven feet? Holy shit, that's like Valanchunas of the Pelicans. Most scoops of ice cream on a cone. Boring, who cares? 125. Okay, great, you scooped 120. Dull. That one's dull. I can't end on that. Let's go back. I'm, why not just end on the one I began with? The world's fattest twins. Did they purposely try to get that fat on the motorcycles? Why were they on the motorcycles? Was that part of it? Was the category the world's fattest twins on motorcycles or just the world's fattest twins? I actually don't know. But I do know that they were both collectively over 1,400 pounds of twin. And you're going to sit there and tell me I should have found a young novel, a young adult novel at that age? No. This is what I get to share with you. So, hey, kids. Hey, kids out there. If you haven't developed a love of reading, fine. Grab the Guinness Book and just plow through that weirdness, that bizarre world of lunacy. I wonder if they're still doing it. If they're still letting those kids in fourth and fifth grade choose that book to sit crisscross applesauce. I'm not saying Indian style. You are. Crisscross applesauce in the corner with your friend Micah. She's saying, bro, look at her fingernails. Look at those. You turn the page. God, look at that. It's the world's largest crop circle. That's so big. That's how you react to every record. Just by saying the most obvious thing ever. The droopiest face skin? Ew, dude. Look how droopy it is. The droopiest face skin. That's going to be me. I'm so wrinkled already. Only 40 years old. I'm this wrinkled. You catch me in the wrong light where my gray hair looks extra speckled silver and glittery and my skin just looks catcher's mitt wrinkled in the wrong light. Ooh, shit. And I'm doing the essential oils. I don't think they're doing much for me, but I'm trying. I'm trying to reverse the clock, but I'm sitting here with COVID after an ocular migraine. I told my wife, I was like, I think when you're young, ailments don't even register like i don't have any memories of complaining about getting a cold when i was younger and i know i broke bones i know i sprained ankle. i don't remember complaining i just remember healing so quickly when you're young you heal so quickly and you just continue doing things out of the house you don't isolate i don't have any memories of isolating all my injuries all my sickness i still went out and just did a bunch of shit just did a bunch of shit now i just look at the calendar and go well that week's gone 
not gonna get that weekend back. Uh, yeah, I should probably lay low that week. It's like there's so much physical shit around the corner that it's gonna really make the healthy moments extra special where you gotta be extra grateful. 365 days in a year, I'm probably gonna have 65 shitty ones. Like I'm talking about physical health, just real shitty ones. So if I get 300 good ones, I'm not even talking about emotional health. I'm not even talking about that. You're talking about that. I'm not even talking about that. You're talking about that. I told you this shit gives you a lot of fatigue. Not just fatigue in your chest and your tummy and your lungs and your nuts, but it gives you fatigue in the mind. So right now, I think I'm talking about the Guinness Book of World Records, and I'm trying to get through a podcast. I haven't recorded a podcast in so fucking long, and I'm trying to do it right now because my little baby with COVID to sleep, and the other little baby's doing something else, like watching too many videos, and my wife's trying to get work done from a dining room table, and we don't want to go back to the world of Zoom, and we just still want to do our job, but we got to fill out a lot of forms, like workman's comp, and a lot of COVID forms, and you don't give a shit. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. The oldest dog ever was 21, and he finally was able to drink. I'm acting like that was the greatest punchline you've ever heard. Gotta hit you with that starship. Nothing's gonna stop us now. Well, COVID's gonna slow you down, but it's not gonna stop us now. It's not. It's just not. Let me drop a scary thought on you. I think you're ready for this. The things I loved to do throughout my younger years, loved to do, sporting events, comedy clubs, sporting events, comedy clubs, narrow focus, but hey, get in where you fit in. Stay in your lane. Sporting events, comedy clubs. Since I've had kids, they haven't been as fun. And I brought this up with my wife. I was almost embarrassed to bring this up, but sporting events and comedy clubs are not really that fun. The little kids, having little kids, tell me if you relate. If not, hey, I'll change the topic. But I'm now dull to things. I think I'm dull to things I used to love because I have little kids that are always on my mind. All my attention is with them. They're real little. Four years old and 10 months. That's like real little. So if I'm out, I'm not even fully present. Let's just say I went out with a bunch of friends to have some beers. That would be fun for maybe... 35 minutes, 40 minutes, but there would be a point where I'm just like, why am I not at home? I don't know how I got to this mindset where I have FOMO, fear of missing out of the actual nest of being home. And I do a bunch of shit, okay? Don't get me wrong. I do a bunch of stuff out of the house, but I don't know when the spark's coming back. And my wife said, it'll come back when the kids are older, but your whole brain chemistry gets rewired I was at a Warriors game. Here's where I got worried. I was at a Warriors game with my buddy Isaac, and I was just like, wait, why aren't we just on the couch at my house? I just want to talk to you. The Warriors game was on the side, and I didn't even care. I liked the Warriors on TV, but to be at the game was such a schlep. I just felt so far away from the little girls. Not to say I'm father of the year. I think a lot of parents could relate to this, but just to do something, just to say, hey, let's get tickets to a concert or to go do something away from the kids, it's still worth doing. It's healthy to do. But I don't know why. My mind isn't fully in it. Went to a comedy club with my buddy Rick. Halfway through the show, I was like, eh, it's okay. I mean, the comic was bombing and that's part of it. But also, it's just like, I guess getting out sounded good. But the actual act of being out all night, missing bedtimes or missing a few little things that are fine to miss, they just get too in my head. It's too in my head. I need to be able to diversify my mental portfolio. I think the spark will come back. 
I want to I want to envision myself enjoying live Warriors games in the future, going back to comedy clubs, full throttle and loving it. But I even scroll through Cobb's Comedy Club punchline. Now I scroll through and I go, oh, that looks fun. But would it really be the act of getting in my car, driving into the city, sitting in a club, watching these comics and then on the drive home going, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. I've reached that point. I like the idea of doing fun shit, but executing the game plan. Mm-mm. I'm not bringing my A game. I'm just bringing that. Can I go home yet game? Can I go home yet? We went to Bodega Bay for spring break. We went to Bodega Bay. 10 minutes into it, I was like, can we go home? Have I become the world's dullest person? Can I go home yet? This isn't my house. This Airbnb is not comfortable. Where's my fridge? Where's my toilet? And now I'm isolated. So you know I'm not complaining about that. I'm complaining that I can't leave my house, but I'm not complaining about just being at my house. That makes sense. I think I got a point at the end. Quarantine, shelter in place, isolation. The idea that you can't go sucks, but just being here, it's fine. It's fine. Don't you worry about me. Some people have some real issues. If it sounds like I'm complaining at any point, I just think about families fleeing Ukraine or what's actually happening right now in Ukraine, and then all of a sudden I don't have problems. It's a beautiful thing. Perspective is the greatest thing ever. You look at your life, you complain a little bit, you zoom out, you go, oh, it's not that bad. Hey, why are we all getting so cute? with sustainable clothes. I don't even know what that means. Like I told you, I don't know what it means to be so environmentally conscious with my clothes. I know what fast fashion is, okay? I now know fast fashion, avoid fast fashion, things that could just end up in landfills because they rip and tear and they break immediately. Just clothes that you'll throw away quickly. So we're supposed to look for durable, environmentally friendly, sustainable clothes. Okay, but my wife recently got a sweatshirt. Stay with me. My wife recently got a sweatshirt that was advertised as being made from water bottles. Water bottles. Hey, guess what? No, it wasn't. The amount of bullshit we will buy. You could tell us anything turned into anything. And I think humans will just nod and go, whoa, whoa, water bottles, then a sweatshirt. That's sustainable. And we just go, that's very sustainable. I like that. We just accept all the shit. Yeah, my shoes are made out of eggshells and celery. They were put into a kiln, and there's only three pairs available, but I was able to get a pair. My wife's sweatshirt was made out of water bottles, and she wears that sweatshirt a lot. And I look at her and go, man, you're really proving it, that you care about the environment. And she does. She composts. She recycles. I mean, all the shit that I should do, and I actually do do, but I think I'm doing it mostly because she's encouraging me to. Like, if I lived alone in an apartment, am I composting, if we're being honest? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know. But I live with Shani, my wife, who cares about the environment, and I do too. I do too. Let me, let me ride her coattails on this. I do too, but I'm not looking for water bottle sweatshirts. Okay, and I'm not going to try to understand sustainable for all the articles of clothing that I wear. Are those socks sustainable, environmental friendly socks? I don't know. Fuck you. Go away. What are they made of? Well, you know, your socks really should be made out of the type of cotton that comes from, the type of wool that comes from. Your socks really should be stitched from a factory. Okay, are you tracing back all the material in your home to the factory, to who's stitching it, and to what material it's stitched from. Are you tracing back that cotton? Are you going back to the harvest? How far back do you go before you just end up believing some bullshit like your sweatshirt's made out of water bottles? And guess what? It might be. My wife's sweatshirt might be made from water bottles, but no, it's not, right? Because I've held a water bottle and I've touched a sweatshirt. No, it's not the same at all. But one thing could become another thing. Like when you tell me a tree becomes paper, I go, okay, I believe that. I believe that. I, I, I can understand it logically. A tree becomes paper. 
but if you told me that cream spinach could become, you know, tires for my car, I go, no, cream spinach can't become tires for my car. And even if someone sold it to me, like the all new Michelin cream spinach tire that's going to make you rethink your approach to the road. Save the earth, environmentally friendly. I like it. We just had Earth Day. Earth Day didn't even exist till 1970. So before that, no one gave a shit. No one gave a shit. Up until 1970. Then 1970. I just read the article. I forget what I read. I think Nixon, someone, I don't know. Forget it. I just shouldn't have brought it up. But when Earth Day started, I was, all of a sudden people were like, you know what? Yeah. Yeah. Let's have that one day a year where we don't take 30 minute showers and just throw our trash into the street. And then it's evolved into this. It's evolved into this. Water bottle sweatshirts and composting, recycling. How many bins do you have for everything? And it's good. It's good. We're trying to save the planet because of global warming and climate change. And Oh, he's not making a point anymore. He's just rambling into a microphone. Some people are still listening. He's going for the Guinness record of most nonsense ever spewed into a microphone in a sustained period of time. In a sustainable period of time. My podcast was made by water bottles. Recycled water bottles. I need some water right now. I need some coffee. I need some bourbon. I need some liquid, but I'm too lazy to get up. So I'm just going to do the rest of the episode. What are you watching right now? What are you watching? NBA playoffs? What are you watching? You watching winning time? What are you watching? You watching Bridgerton? What are you watching? You watching Obama bringing you through all those national parks? Have you seen this guy? Full head of silver hair. You notice Obama always has the same length. I don't mean he always has the same haircut. I mean the hair is always the same length from the back to the sides to the top. All over. It's always just been the same length. I watched the whole Obama documentary. His hair has always just been one length. That is a man who's in a rush when he goes to the barber. He just says, give me the three or the four. All over. Just give me the four. Takes three minutes. Probably just drops two 20s and walks out. Four minutes for every Obama haircut. He always has the same length. It's like this very thin helmet of hair. Works for him. He doesn't give a shit. He knows he's sexy. And what's he doing in retirement? What's he doing? Looking old, first of all, but he's still that smooth Barack. So he gets together with Netflix and he's acting like an expert about national parks. And he narrates all of this. And there's people probably watching this like, wow, Barack really knows his shit. He's just reading a script. But he comes, he, he comes at it. Uh, uh, World of Wonder, from the Great Barrier Reef to the Chilean Patagonia, all the way through the vast landscapes of Kenya, into the Monterey Bay, where the elephant seals will wrestle till the death. This is National Parks. It's like him introing it. He's still wearing like nice linen, like a collared shirt on a beach or on a mountain or on a hill. He doesn't look too relaxed. He still looks presidential, but he takes you through. This will be an emphasis on vibrant coastlines. Rhinos, hippos, beaks, the world's uh, untamed beauty. Coming to you on Netflix's National Parks. There's some unintentional humor. Just watch one episode. Watch Obama give you the national parks. It's beautiful, by the way. Holy shit. The cinematography, the amount of wildlife we could see in vivid, high definition with the brightest colors. 
These animals don't know they're finally being filmed this way for the first time ever. The drone footage, the underwater stuff. Just set up a camera for 100 days until that animal does something interesting enough to edit it down and put some nice music to it and get the former president to narrate it. And then all of a sudden you have a hit. It's a hit. The kangaroo, the canary, the buffalo, and the bison. Uh, Amazing. You get out there in the park, you wake up binoculars. But we must protect it. Then he gives you a little moral tagline. And it's up to us. And uh, it's not a good Obama, but I'm going to try it way more often than you think I should. The Great Barrier Reef, an area I grew up at. Chilean Patagonia, an area I grew up in. Just lying his ass off. Monterey Bay, where I make my home, where Michelle and I swim with the elephant seals each morning. No, you don't. Indonesia. We're endangered species. We're endangered species. Almost extinct. They're all, uh, almost extinct. Indonesia. We're a rare Sumatran tiger. Can wake up in the morning and just be himself. Big Sur. Where a man can be a man in a water bottle sweatshirt. Oh, that's a shitty impression. And I really committed, didn't I? Really committed. What did we learn in this episode? Not much. I have COVID. What am I on? Day seven, eight, nine. I'm going to lose track. This really is tough to keep track of. My COVID, older daughter's COVID, younger daughter's COVID, and wife chasing COVID. I don't know. Hey, pray for us, folks. I'll pray for you. Let's do it. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. I don't even know who you pray to. But let's all pray for each other. Let's turn this into a big prayer. I pray for the planet of the United States of America and to the corona for which it stands, no taste buds under God in isolation and quarantine till my next booster. Amen. Or amen. Whatever.